Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, I've, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's relevant to this passage this morning. And some of you haven't heard it, but um, I was in Israel on a tour. We were at Caesarea on the coast, uh, maritime Caesarea, beautiful uh, ocean area. And we had followed our tour guide around. We had had our biblical lesson. We're heading back for the bus. And I was walking with a couple of people. And this guy came up next to us, and he was upset. He said, oh, would you look at this? And a seagull had managed to drop one on his shoulder. Only, I mean, this thing ran so far, it looked more like a, a blue herring than a, a seagull. I mean, this was, this was a bad mess. And you know how it feels, like, you know, and he's going to spend the rest of the day in this shirt. Um, so as he's complaining about it, uh, a tour guide from another group walked by, and she was with a couple people answering questions. And as she walked by, she heard him, and she, she said over her shoulder, it's a blessing. <laughs> and he said, what? This is a blessing? And she said, it's a blessing that cows don't fly. Um, <laughs> smooth segue. There are two different Hebrew words and two different Greek words for blessing. And it creates some confusion, um, though the Hebrew word is consistently translated by the Greek word uh, in both cases. One of these words means something God-given, that God gives a blessing to promote a person's welfare or shalom, that God blesses his people and he gives blessings. So it has a divine source. In the Old Testament, that would include um, you know, all the good things of life, your health, uh, a large family, prosperity, and a, a, a long, full, rich life. The other word refers to a state of being blessed. And it's not necessarily connected to God directly. I'm, I live in this blessed condition, and I might say I worked my way here. Now, we know that everything comes from God ultimately, but this sort of blessed state comes to us indirectly, and it's related to other things. So it's an acknowledgement of someone who fits the description of whatever is in the blessing. The first word, God actively promotes what is good in life. The second word, someone is enjoying the good life. In the Beatitudes, uh, which, by the way, are the second word, um, we're talking about a blessed state or condition or what makes for richness and fullness of life. Um, Jesus follows this pattern that we see sometimes in the Old Testament 
for example, in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Those are the negatives, the positives. But he delights in the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Well, now we're talking about someone who fits this description. Um, But it has this formula. Blessed is the man, or how blessed is the person, or oh, how blessed, or the blessing of. And, And then on to what is described here. Here, um, this second word, again, is describing a state. This person finds himself or herself thriving in life, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I mean, what could be a better image of thriving in life than a tree planted by a river? These are statements of fact, then. And they're also insights and invitations. If you're looking for the keys to the good life, then here they are in these blessings. We are misinterpreting these particular blessings if we read them as if they meant, do this and God will bless you. That's not what we're being told. We're being told, look at this person. This is the good life, and and this is characteristic of the good life. And when you find yourself here, you are thriving. You are blessed. Now we notice something strange about Jesus' blessings, his, his beatitudes. What he delivers is a shocking contradiction to our common sense view of life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke's gospel, just blessed are the poor. And we look at those living in poverty with no income, uh, homeless, and we say, what's so blessed about that? Um, Not only does it contradict our common sense way of looking at things, it even contradicts the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, all the wisdom statements about people prospering and what it takes to prosper. Um, And there aren't these negatives that Jesus have. Blessed are the poor. Um, Blessed are those who mourn. What's so blessed about grief? Um, Poverty, grief, hunger and thirst, being persecuted and insulted. Um, This isn't a picture of prosperity or prestige or prominence. This is a, a picture of something else. It looks like losers, the you know, blessed are the down and out, blessed are the pathetic. You know, those poor unfortunates, you know, a class that we're glad we're not a part of. Um, so what the heck is Jesus doing? Let's look for a moment at the word translated gentle in the New American Standard. Translated meek in the King James. And you know, for a long time we've wanted to toss meek out. Um, meek is... Barney Fife, 
Um, and you have to be old enough to appreciate that. But meek is um, meek is weak. Meek is wimpy. Uh, meek is um, I'm not big enough to stand up to you, so I'm just going to turn and run. And because that, because people reading the Bible have a really hard time thinking Jesus is saying this this type of person is blessed, we we don't like that word, or we give it a meaning it's never had. We say meek is power under control. BS. Uh, 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 pardon me, meaning uh, Bible stuff. Um, mistranslated. Uh, um, gentle, meek, gentle, mild, humble. Um, it was used in reference to an animal that had been tamed. The wild stallion is now saddled and subject to the will of the rider. Okay? The wildness has been domesticated. That's what this is talking about. Um, in the Greek version of the Bible, the Hebrew was translated into Greek prior to the time of Christ. In the Greek version of the Bible, it refers to a man who does not own property and there ha- therefore has to be a servant to someone else in order to survive. He doesn't have his own land to cultiv- cultivate. He's a servant. Humility in the Roman world was a virtue, but with limits. And that's fairly important because a lot of times you'll hear about how a philosopher or a well-known Roman poet extolled the virtues of humility. But any loss of honor, anything that cost you a loss of honor was detrimental to a person's social standing. And that did not appeal at all to Romans or anyone living in the first century Mediterranean world. Most of these cultures are described as honor-shame cultures. And uh, there's a such thing as an honor boast, that you could talk about your accomplishments and and boast of them to enhance your social status. So go ahead and give the honor boast. Just be humble about it. (laughs) And, And is that possible? Well, the Greeks and the Romans thought so, and perhaps it is. But we do not tend to associate a mild temperament and humility with success. Oh, the Rams, they're such a gentle football team, and they lose every time they play. You know what I mean? Where's the mild, humble NBA uh, athlete or NFL athlete? or NHL athlete. I mean, like, you don't get anywhere in, in sports being meek. <clears throat> Years ago, a friend pointed out to me, this, this is sort of dumb, but um, this, this goes back a long time, okay? I was on staff at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, and he pointed out, that any time that the cameras were rolled into Calvary Chapel, that this one particular person would always jump in front of them. Took every opportunity to jump in front of the cameras. And this person 
got noticed. Um, he became famous for being well-known, uh, or being seen a lot anyway. Those who hang back are ignored. Those who melt into the wall turn invisible. Low self-esteem is not humility. I thought that was profound. Um, <laughs> my mom said it years ago, and I thought, wow. <laughs> Shyness is not humility. Insecurity is not humility. But it doesn't seem to matter that they're not humility because they all wind up together. The humble has a place in that community. Now, why would we choose to accept this negative condition, this, this meekness. Why, why would I, I say, well, you know, I've got five different ways I could react right now. I think I'll take the meek way. Um, there's a new job opening. I could either go after it aggressively. Um, I could just go into the supervisor's office, remind him of all my great accomplishments. Uh, or I could be meek and not speak up, let someone else have it. Um, they probably need the money as much as I do. Probably not, but let them have it. Uh, or, I, you know, so there, there are choices here. Why would I choose to be meek? <laughs> What's the incentive here? Um, is that a big enough, you know, say, well, you're, you'll inherit the earth. I mean, in some future time, there'll be a reward for this now. Is that a big enough incentive for me to say, okay, I'm going to take that path. For many Christians, it's obviously not a big enough incentive. And they find it easy to doubt, to ignore, and to reject. I'm not going that road. But they adopt the standards and the methods of the rest of society. Because all you have to do is look at society and say, this is not how you make a name for yourself. This is not how you leave a mark. This is not how you get up the corporate ladder. But here's the answer to why we should choose to be meek. And that is, we don't choose it. It comes to us naturally. Everyone has an opportunity to be humbled by their circumstances, by their situation in life, um, by something about themselves that they perceive to be the truth, finally come around to that, and, um, and realize that comparatively, they're not all that awesome. When kids in school were choosing up teams, more than once, I was the last person to be chosen. And usually it was, um, you can have Smith. We already have nine players, and you only have eight. Yeah, you can have Smith. Um, well, that was humbling. That gave me a really realistic perspective on my abilities uh, to play kickball or dodgeball or, or be a contributing team member. Humiliations and demotions happen 
to us. And they also happen to the followers of Jesus just for being followers of Jesus. Because this was the way of Jesus. Jesus says later on in Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, mild, and humble of heart. So Jesus says, this is the path that I take. Matthew quotes uh, an Isaiah passage. Matthew quotes a lot of Isaiah, by the way. In fact, some people have seen Isaiah 61 all through the Beatitudes. But he quotes an Isaiah passage in which Isaiah says, he did not shout or lift up his voice in the streets. Jesus did not uh, go out into the streets and start shouting to get a lot of attention. Um, but he was, he was kind and gentle and mild. A bruised reed he would not break. A smoking candle he'd not snuff out. Or a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. So um, this is how Jesus is and his disciples who learn from him learn this from him. He, he will say, don't take the seat of honor when you're invited to the banquet. Take the lowest seat. How much better it is if the host comes up and says, oh, you don't belong down here. Move up higher. Rather than he comes to you and says, hey, that seat was reserved for someone important. Meekness, meekness comes to compassionate and caring people. Demotion often comes to people of integrity. Someone is asked to lie to a client by a superior, and they say, I can't do that. I won't do that. If, if our product doesn't perform that way, I'm not going to tell them that it does. And they get demoted. They, they go on the bad list. And uh, then opportunities are looked for to, to find two more warnings, and then they're dismissed. Now, it doesn't happen in every company or every corporation or every industry, but it happens enough that almost every one of us can think of someone who lost a job because of integrity. So Jesus is talking to people who are already there. And he looks at him and he says, blessed are you losers um, though, you know, he, he doesn't say that that harshly. Um, blessed are you mild-mannered people. Um, he's, he's, he's looking at people who are already there, or they're headed there. And the disciple of Jesus who's headed that direction is headed that direction for Jesus' sake. In, in verse 11, when he talks about being persecuted, he says, you know, who's slandered and, and mistreated because of me. So it's just that connection with Christ that brings this on them. Now, this beatitude is an invitation to see our way through this world differently. Society has cut a path for us, and it's, it's been there since we, at least since we entered grade school. Now, if you had siblings, it already began before that. Why can't you be more like your brother? Um, no, my parents never said that to me. Um, it was more like your sister. Uh, uh, but once you hit grade school, 
there's a competitive edge to, to the grade curve. Um, and you're constantly reminded of where you are in, in this you know, hierarchy of, of good grades and poor grades. This is, this is an invitation to not see that as a minus. That if you occupy a low rung position in the company, not to see that as a minus. If you live in a less expensive place than others, don't see that as a minus. If there are other factors in your life that you feel keep you in this meek place, this withdrawn place, this humble place, Jesus is saying, don't think of that as a deficit. It isn't. He's saying something like this. Blessed are those who are not chosen by either team or to be in the beauty pageant or the madrigals and for that reason are not driven by competition but are learning compassion and cooperation. Because the majority of this world are there with you. And if you can learn compassion and cooperation but collectively you can you know you can go wherever you need to go can you think of ways that god keeps you humble nothing keeps me humble a marriage i i just cannot respond to that i dare not my wife is here today um <laughs> I, any comments on? Oh, aging? Well, okay. Let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, aging. Getting old, and, you know. <laughs> my, my grandson, Calum, uh, he's about to turn five, but maybe six months ago, eight months ago, he came into my, oh, it's longer than that. He came into my room when I was uh, sitting there reading my Bible in the morning, and he climbed up onto my lap, and he's just sitting there for a while, and then he looks at me and says, I've got to show you how he did this. He goes, Grandpa, are you going to keep getting older and older and <laughs> older? And I said, probably so, Caleb, and then I'll die. Uh, and then a couple of days later, he found a stick, and he was going, yeah, four years old, and his face is all scrunched up. Yeah, adorable. Uh, oh, uh, oh, okay, I'm embarrassed to say this. Grandpa, open your mouth. Uh, why, Caleb? I want to see your gold and silver teeth. How do you get those gold teeth, Grandpa? And I said, just keep eating candy. I get all worked up. I feel pressed for time. I'm, I've got something I have to get done. And my grandkids come asking me for help. This morning, I'm running late. I'm working on my sermon notes. And I hear a very soft, sweet voice. Can you make us something for breakfast? You know, immediately, you know, um, 
my tendency is to tell them, Grandpa's busy right now. Don't interrupt Grandpa. That's why God gave you a daddy. Go wake him up. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm tempted to say. But I pause, take a breath or two, and remember, I'm not that important. And then we go fix breakfast. It's easy to make time for them. It's like Jesus says, they're not an interruption, Chuck. They are your life. So I don't know if it's universal, but I think for a lot of us, we care deeply about being recognized for our accomplishments, for work we've put into a project. You know, I did all that work. No one said thank you. You know, no flowers, no card. Uh, for our creative talent, our intelligence. I don't know, it really does something. Well, I can only speak for men. You know, the whole man ego is so blown out anyway. But um, it does something when someone says, you're really a smart guy. <laughs> oh, you noticed, huh? <laughs> only, you know, with my personality, it's like, <laughs> they believe me. <laughs> the, the bluff worked. <laughs> anyway, um, we have a strong reaction for not being recognized. But, you know, you can use that as a trigger to remind ourselves of the hidden life. Paul said, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Who recognizes me? Who knows me? Your life is hidden with Christ. And you're right along there with Christ. And you're in God. And that's where you're recognized. That's where you're known. That's where, you know, just how brilliant you are is, is fully appreciated. And, and then God says, but then there, there was Solomon, <laughs> and uh, your heart sinks. Father Romuald once told me, it's useful to sit in failure. It's more helpful for achieving humility than success is. It's useful for humility to sit in failure, to say, okay, I didn't do so well, and I'm not so perfect and it's not going to come off right every time being stripped of everything uh, possessions status friends uh, family marriage I was sitting on the bed of a small room in another couple's house wondering who am I it was my, my marriage, my family that defined me. It was, my joy was coming home in the evening and have the kids run up to me and welcome me. But now here I am in this stranger's house and uh, living on someone else's dime. And who, who the heck am I? Being stripped of, of everything isn't fun, but the value is it, uh, of it is that all the illusions are removed. And you no longer buy into them. All that we're left with is who we truly are. And that is a discovery we need to make. Another spiritual benefit of letting go of the ego self is I find that I am pulled toward God. If, if, if I'm not out there, you know, the aggressive one going for the gold, um, and if I realize that will never be me and, and it can't really be me, then I find that I'm being pulled toward God. 
Now, hey, listen, um, if God gives you skills and he, he gives you a calling and he gives you talent, you better use that. You better invest that and use that. So I have no problem with gold medalists. Medalist. Um, they're, they're doing what God has made them capable of, of doing. Um, it was like Eric Little in Chariots of Fire when, he, when he's explaining to his sister why he has to go to the Olympics. He says, he says Annie, I think her name was Annie, Annie, God made me for a purpose and he made me fast. And I feel his pleasure when I run. So that's 100% legitimate. Um, and a person can do that and still be humble about it. Like for him, he recognized these were gifts God had given him, and it was up to him to use those gifts, but use them in a way that was surrendered to God. And that's why he forfeited one race, because he would not run on the Sabbath. His, his feelings about keeping Sunday sacred by not doing anything secular prevented him from that one race. So there's, there's a beautiful combination of, of ability and humility. Another, uh, so this other spiritual benefit is I, I'm drawn towards God and I'm pulled away from the worldly distractions that used to be there when I had all this stuff around me. The spiritual life thrives when the worldly life starves. So if your worldly life is starving, Look at it this way. You have opportunity to pursue that that will make your spirit thrive. Uh, and again, I'm not saying, you know, it's easy to just say, well, I choose this. Some of us can do that. Monks and nuns can do that. And the rest of us, at some point in our lives, will be forced to do that. Okay. Here's what I find helpful for coming back to humility. And um, it has to do with two related words uh, in the English language, going back to the Latin and perhaps even back to the Greek. Of course, traveling through France on our way. Um, first of all, the word humor is, uh, has roots in the same uh, <laughs> words for humility. If I take myself too seriously, I'm likely to take everything too seriously. I'm likely to take you too seriously. And so I get all upset because someone didn't say hi to me when he saw me. Or all upset because uh, someone doesn't return a phone call. And he happens to be the leader of reflection. And I really thought he, if anyone. <laughs> but no. Um, I, I was up at the Hermitage one time and I had made my way down to the beach, which along the central California coast is so awesome because you can go there and really be all by yourself. I mean, to accomplish that here, you have to go to the beach in the dead of winter at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> but up there, it's like all day long. So I'm up there, and I, I, uh, I'm in this, this kind of a cove, and I hear these seagulls squawking at the other end of the cove, so I just watch them for a while. And they're all like on the shoreline, kind of wading out into the water, looking for sand crabs or whatever. And um, a wave will come in, and, they, and those that were in the water start squawking and flying away and, and the whole time making all this noise. It's like 
they're taking it personally. <laughs> you know, here comes a wave. Oh, how, you know, what's happening here? And they're just, um, now I might be uh, anthropomorphizing a bit, but there's so many people are like that. They take everything personally. Did you see that? He cut me off. No, he did not cut you off. His car went in front of your car. You don't even exist. You're a robot behind the wheel. I mean, he's not even thinking. He's not concerned about you. Abbot John Chapman said, I think it is an excellent thing to laugh at oneself a little whenever one feels like a martyr. I'm feeling like such a martyr today. Oh, what I have to go through. And he says, good time to laugh at yourself. Blessed are those who have a good sense of humor. This isn't a a paraphrase of anything Jesus said. This is my own. Blessed are those who have a good sense of humor, for they will not be ruined by what they see in the mirror. (laughs) That that takes us back to aging. Um, Okay, humor is a good way to practice humility. And then being human. Human is a good way to practice humility. In case you forget... Um, that you're mortal, which we all are. This is the fact of my mortality. Okay, God was upset, or he's presented as being upset with Eve and Adam, and it may seem a little bit harsh, but he says to Adam, you're dust, and that's where you came from, and you're going back to that. You know, just who do you think you are? Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And it's good for me to remember that if I start to think a little bit more of myself than how I should think. I I think I mentioned before I'm reading this book, uh, The Book of Joy. And it is um, this conversation between the Dalai Lama, what honey? I know, okay, you said something funny that time. It's not working. Okay, the book of joy, it's not working. All right. That's right, I'm only halfway through. There's a half improvement. Okay, okay, forget that quote. No, 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 The, the, the Dalai Lama said, I thought this was cool. I think the maximum lifespan is about 100 years. Compared to human history, 100 years is quite short. So if we utilize that short period to create more problems on this planet, our life would be meaningless. So we need to use our days wisely to make our world a little better for everyone. Charlotte, I pointed out that Jesus used this Old Testament pattern, blessed are, are those, etc., Um, this is developed in the Old Testament books that are called wisdom literature or wisdom tradition. Uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But there was another important aspect to the blessed state, and that you find in the, the prophetic tradition that looked forward to the restoration of the Garden of Eden that this is, this is the future God has in mind for his people. 
In the time of Jesus, these two traditions, the wisdom and the prophetic traditions, were combined. And it is evident in his Beatitudes because he has both the formula of the wisdom tradition but also the future perspective of the prophetic tradition. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not conquer the world. They're not going to conquer the meek. are not going to rise with clubs and torches and uh, scythes and take over the world. Blessed are the meek. It's their inheritance. The word translated earth occurs five times in Matthew before this verse. And in each of those five times, it's translated land. The land of Judah, the land of Israel, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So um, here's a word that in the Hebrew would be Eretz. Eretz can be the land or the world, the the earth. Um, And the idea of inheriting the land or an inheritance in the land is very much Old Testament. When Israel came into the land, they sent cartographers all around to mark out the boundaries uh, of the land, natural boundaries, and then they distributed the land to the various tribes. Um, God told Joshua, now apportion this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes of Israel that had not received their inheritance yet. An inheritance in the land. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Um, um, What is that telling us? Blessed are the harmless, the unassuming, those who disappear in a crowd, for they have a secured place among God's people in his coming kingdom. The promised land is to us the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Now, here's the thing. This blessing is future, but Jesus' message all the way through is the future is now. The future is upon us. Again, not the whole wonderful new world, but in the spirit, we get glimpses of it. We hear the sounds of it. We catch the fragrance of it. From time to time, we taste it. We have a real experience of it. And that experience, like the treasure buried in a field, is worth surrendering everything. Just enough of that experience will make us willing to surrender everything to have the whole someday. So we get to have a taste. Uh, Mom lets us lick the frosting off the spatula, but the cake is not until the party. But that frosting is enough to say, I don't think I'll go to Joey's house. I think I'll hang out here for the party. And so um, Jesus in the Beatitudes is describing himself, and he's saying this is the life blessed in God's spirit. I'm inviting you into this life And the next time you have an opportunity to practice the humble way, go ahead and take it because if you keep your eyes open, there's something on the other side of that that will be fruitful for you and make it worthwhile. Would you stand, please?
May the Lord our God put his thumb on that narcissism into which we were born and diminish it. Help us to rise above it and become people who are able to look past ourselves and see into others responsive to the need, the hurt, the longing we see in their eyes. May Jesus make us like himself in every way. The Lord bless us, keep away evil, and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.